0: The human-centric podcast, the podcast all about the talents of today and tomorrow, presented by Deutsche Telekom.
1: So, hi guys. So, what topic could be more interesting to dive into if you are discussing how to foster and grow talents? What topic could be more interesting than feedback? «Feeding back to others», «Receiving feedback», «Whether it be compliments or corrections», «How to create feedback culture in your teams», «What makes us shy away from feedback». Uh, all of these topics are just so well covered in what we are about to uh, let you listen to. Sutlana, tell us about the guest we just had here.
0: Yes, we had Regu. Uh, Regu Ram Tanumalayan, who is senior vice president of Magenta Voice, of voiceification technology in Deutsche Telekom. And he's stating that in 2020, he discovered candid feedback. So in the year of pandemic, when it was really tough for all of us, uh, Rek who discovered candid feedback and his journey, what exactly it meant, you will hear in this podcast.
1: What a wonderful, insightful, calm and lovely man. Just Cannot wait to share this one with our listeners and viewers.
0: Welcome to Human Centric Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, uh, Regu Ram Tanumalayan. Regu is Senior Vice President of Magenta Voice. Sounds like magic voice, you know. Uh, <laughs> Magenta Voice is actually how Deutsche Telekom works with voiceification. Mm-hmm. And Reku, you're also one of the top technologists in this area of voiceification. So it's a pleasure to have you here with us and uh, actually to talk about voice, more from voice of organization, feedback. Uh, But first of all, welcome.
2: Definitely. Thanks a lot. And a pleasure to be here. And I'm looking forward to talking about one of my favorite topics, feedback.
0: Mm, It's interesting. I think one of the reasons why we decided to invite you for the podcast on feedback was your post, mm-hmm. which you did in December on LinkedIn. And I found it fascinating uh, because you mentioned that in 2020, mm-hmm. you found candid feedback for yourself. Yes. And I was thinking, you know, 2020, a difficult year, you know, it's a pandemic year mm-hmm. where we are disconnected from each other. Absolutely. All of a sudden we are not in the offices and here you are you know, finding candid feedback in 2020. (laughs) So I really want to talk to you about it.
2: Definitely. I mean, thinking about the beginning of my career, I used to, let's say, shy away from a lot of these difficult conversations or Mm. sort of critical feedback and call it strange enough, last year was really the year I discovered this whole thing. Maybe it was because, you know, I was so much away from people (laughs) <laughs> um, that it sort of gave me all this me time to think about how to put some of these things into practice. But yeah, last year was really the year when I got more candid with my feedback.
0: Mm. Tell us how.
2: <laughs> well, if I go back to like, why I was shying away from feedback, mm. I could trace it to a couple of things. One is this notion that I had that I don't want to, let's say, offend people. Mm. Also this notion that I wanted to be liked by people, you know. So these are some reasons why I typically used to shy away from these feedbacks.
1: I think this is so high, Degu, and how great to have you on the show just to kind of get my voice heard too. You're saying it's one of your favorite subjects, and I can tell you as an external looking into Deutsche Telekom and also to so many other companies that I have the pleasure of visiting – I would say it's like really top three for me of like, I think, like super duper important subjects that we conversations that we need to have in different corporations and organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think so you've touched on a lot of really valuable stuff already when you're saying this past year, I do believe it's so right. It has brought for a lot of us an opportunity to look a little bit at our habits and look a little bit at like Thinking again about how we'd like to be wiser in showing up in our teams and in showing up as leaders, whatever. And I, so you're saying that you've discovered that you wanted to be more, I guess, courageous. Am I right in approaching people?
2: Definitely. I mean, and if I think more about it, um, deep inside, I actually hate conflict. You know, um, <laughs> conflicts yeah. are are usually really, oh, you know, tough for me to handle. Uh, but over a period of time, I mean, having been in different leadership roles, I also came to realize that, you know, holding such critical feedback from people is actually, let's say, detrimental to the performance of the team. And that's yeah. when I started to say, let's say, take these more heads on, you know, having this courageous conversation. So, yes, it is indeed a lot about courage.
1: So, am I right, guys? This goes to both of you, really. Here we are talking about this topic of feedback. and I. Over the years, I've grown to learn that a lot of people will kind of go, oh, yeah, feedback, that's nice. And then we just we shy away from even having a conversation about creating a feedback culture. And part of it, which you're already putting words to so beautifully, Regu, the idea that we don't want to offend other people and we're frightened maybe of not being, like, frightened of ending up in difficult emotional territory.
0: Do you recognize that as well, Svetlana? Absolutely, absolutely. I was also growing into openness to feedback, you know, uh, an openness to receive feedback uh, because you have to want to be self-aware. Yeah, you have to welcome that feedback and you have to ask for that. So very often it's easy to close and not to even ask for that. So the first openness to grow is to accept it yes, uh, and accept it in a way that's... Sometimes it might hurt. yeah. So when somebody yeah. gives you the feedback, you kind of, oh my God, this is not me. How can you see me that way? But that's openness to be vulnerable and to be curious why you're seen that way or why is the person giving this feedback? What is the intention behind? That's one thing which you, I think you have to grow into. And second one, what Rekhu talks about, discovering candid feedback mm-hmm. for others. Yeah, that's yeah. How do you give so- it in the best way? Mm-hmm. So I know I had to
1: look it up on Google. I was like, what does that actually mean? And it's actually a phenomenon, isn't it? Could you just explain it to us in like a really easy peasy terms, Seregu? What does it actually mean, candid feedback?
2: So um, there was something which uh, Svetlana was just mentioning about being afraid of hurting others and also that feedback hurting you. So it's a bit of this, when you think about radical candor, right, It's Mm. radical candor only works when you have a certain level of trust and genuine care built with the people. There's always a balance between how open can you be, how direct you can be with someone. But that fully depends on how much do you care for that person? How much trust level do you have with that person? And I like this term much more than honesty because candor, I think it up applies much more to these kind of conversations which we have in our professional setting. And being radical just adds a bit more of this openness to it, Uh, at the same time having care for those people that you're talking with.
1: So you're coming from a good place in yourself and hopefully there's a relationship that trusts that alliance in a way. Absolutely. So if you're telling me something that would be a correction, I would trust that you want the best for me.
2: Absolutely. So you have the best interest of the people in mind, and you just assume that this is done with best intents, both ways.
1: Yes, I think that's a very important point right there. So in order to create, let's say you are a leader and you're wanting to create a feedback culture, the place to look is actually to build trust.
2: Absolutely. I mean, trust is the basis of almost everything which we do in our lives, so definitely, yes
1: beautifully put beautifully put so you've already said it kind of we explore that together because i i would imagine if the listeners are anything at least like me and that's what you're saying too it really is easy to shy away it is super easy to shy away from giving feedback from feedbacking to another or like svetlana is also saying to ask for (laughs) for candid feedback right Mm -hmm. so Tell me about the shying away bit. You're already saying it. You don't like conflict. You don't want to be impolite. Is there anything else in that moment when we shy away? What makes us go there?
2: I can talk from my own personal experience. Like I said, you know, fear of conflict, that was a deep feeling inside or emotion inside. Mm. Fear of hurting others. Fear of being hurt. And also going back to this thing about you want to be a friendly person who is liked by others, I think these are all reasons that I can come up with, you know, why people usually shy away from, that was why I was shying away from yeah. feedback in the first place. Yeah. Um, but when I think about like, how would you approach feedback, right? And how I changed from this person who was shying away to how I started to engage more in mm-hmm. radical candor. I believe in three principles of how do you deal with feedback? The sort of golden rule for feedback is, you know, you need to learn to separate judgment from observations. I think, especially we as leaders, we need to be able to suspend the judgment when something is happening in front of us and deal with the situation a bit more of empathy, right? So try to think, why is that person telling you something or why is the situation like that, rather than Mm -hmm. judging, you know? So the first thing is separate judgment from observations. The second thing is, when you think about feedback, rehearse the feedback. So I do a lot of this, right? I mean, you sort of Mm -hmm. play it in your head and also collect a lot of inputs from others. I mean, also try to talk to other people about certain situations and think and gather inputs on what they think and then sort of frame the feedback in a way that you want to deliver it to the person. So rehearsing the feedback, that's quite important. And the third thing is tailor the feedback to the individuals that you're talking to because the way you deliver feedback is also really important and most of the times when I think go back to this thing about conflict and shying away mm. from conflict you know I have this picture in mind where you know instead of two people seeing the conflict in the mm. middle it's like you both are on the same side trying to solve the conflict you know that sort of changes the whole perspective of how we deal with conflict and Mm. why feedback Mm. becomes an important enabler in dealing with that conflict. So that's how I started to switch from a person who was shying away from conflict to being, let's say, taking it heads on.
1: You're saying so many interesting and profound things. I want to make a podcast about everything you just said. (laughs) So there's about five podcasts in what you just said. Uh, To try and backtrack a little bit, if I try and kind of reinterpret some of the gems that are in there, point one, you're saying... Because you're actually saying that you don't want to hurt anyone. You're afraid of not being liked. You're so offering that up so honestly. That's beautiful to listen to. And it makes me philosophize how sometimes the caring thing to do to a colleague is not to remain nice. Sometimes it's actually more caring to dare in ourselves to be candid with others. Absolutely. And I love that line being drawn up, you know, because I think so much of the time we spend... Trying to be nice and polite and not get in each other's hair and, and actually being afraid of conflict. And sometimes that's not the caring thing to do.
2: Yeah. This is one of my favorite quotes from the book Radical Candor, from which I actually drew a lot of these insights from, is when you are being very nice and when you are being very polite and you don't yeah. have these kind of courageous conversations or candid feedback... You end up in what is the author Kim Scott calls as ruinous empathy. So it's empathy, which is ruinous in nature, because end of the day, I love it. It's not going to help the person that you're dealing with, and which is why I think mm. when you care and you mm. have this sort of courageous conversations of critical feedback, which you can share openly, you know, you sort of help make this person a better person, and that's up to us as leaders to also do, right? Not end up as people who ruin others by having this ruinous empathy.
1: So I, I would also say, because ruinous empathy at the end of the day is actually often being nice to yourself, not to the other. Absolutely. You're protecting yourself, right? Mm. And then to go into your excellent rules for what to be mindful of when we go into giving feedback, not being judgmental, step one. Not so, and that's actually that's meddling with your step two, which is saying that words can really, really hurt in these situations, you give it a wrong label, you say to someone, you seem so stressed all the time, and they'll go away and the word stressed will be like, ha, ha, I seem stressed, I seem stressed, right? So these, uh, we should be so mindful and careful with words, I find, in, in situations when giving feedback. Yeah. And like you say, separating your perspective, your personal subjective perspective of what you feel took place and making room to make sure that it might have felt quite differently for the person who was doing whatever they were doing.
2: Absolutely. You might be screaming inside, you know, when you're in a particular situation, but then you don't put those words right away as feedback, but rather if you think about it and then, say, take a step back and stay calm and sort of don't project the immediate reactions that you have, but rather rehearse the feedback because words do matter. I mean, words do have the power to hurt people. And at the same yeah. time, it could also yeah. be enhancer, right?
0: And it's amazing how our brains work. You know, we pick up, you can have thousands of beautiful things on, I don't know, if you like on social media under your post or in your 360 report, which you're getting from, or from your peer. But your brain will pick up this one or two things which are not good. Mm. And you keep about thinking you know about them. You forget 1,000 good parts no and you forget your yeah. strength. You concentrate on what is not good enough. And I think that's also why I would know what you're saying, words hurt. Mm. So how to help a person and very often how to help yourself to be disconnected from that negativity and focus on this one or two things and actually concentrate also on the strength and help person improve uh, even if there's There is, you know, a potential to improve.
1: There's some research comes out of Harvard on this stuff, saying that if you want to live in a performance culture that is actually working, and what does that mean? That means that the people in the performance culture is actually growing, right? It actually means that you're living in a culture that fosters your development. Apparently there's a ratio, they say, between how many compliments we should receive in order to be able to take the corrections. I think it's a super sweet piece of research. It's actually, do you know the ratio? It's five to one. So if I receive five, and here we go, believable, specific compliments. I think compliment giving is also a, a skill, you know, something we should learn. Absolutely. If you hear compliments like, oh Hannah, everything you do is so nice, but on Thursday <laughs> right? Now my brain just gonna, goes on
0: Thursday, <laughs> <laughs> you forget the rest. Yeah.
1: What about Thank Thursday, you. right? So I think the idea of getting super specific, also about the compliment giving and remembering to give compliments. My Lord, we take take each other for granted so much.
2: I mean, uh, feedback doesn't necessarily always have to be critical, right? I mean, we talk about Mm. praise, we talk about appreciation. So I I, I tend to see them as, let's say, feedback as well, Uh, which Mm. is why this whole tailoring the feedback to the person you're dealing with becomes so important. Because, you know, some people, you can have this open conversation, like I uh, solicit feedback all the time and I tell Mm. people to tell me directly negative feedback because I can take it. I mean, of course, I might be disappointed, but I'm, Mm. you know, I can take it. For some, it's just too difficult. So you might have to give them the sugar pills before you give them the bitter pills, right? (laughs) Um, And there are different Mm. ways you even can give feedback, uh, like sandwiching negative between positives and such, which I, there's no one size fits all. You always need to tailor the feedback to that individual person. I think
1: so right. It's like that leaves us with a responsibility to actually be like people readers and be able to understand. So if there's a person in my team, how does he or she grow? How can I actually create a language with them? Absolutely. That would foster their growth. Yeah. Oh, it's super interesting. You know, if you look at like the best paid feedback givers on the planet, who would that be? That would be probably the feedback givers of the top athletes would be my guess. Can we agree on that? So people who train the top athletes are probably the best paid. And then maybe we could assume that they're also the best skilled. They know a lot about social psychology and stuff, I would imagine. And, you know, it's been decades since those trainers of top athletes actually were, that their core work was about criticizing the athlete. For like at least a decade or two, they have been adamant in just complimenting what it is the athlete does that is working. And that's not to be nice. That's just because it creates a better result. So compliments, there's real power in compliments, I think.
2: This is a very interesting thing that you bring up about trainers of athletes. I had a a similar thing in mind about tennis coaches. So I was listening to a podcast about the coach of Serena Williams, and he was saying something very interesting, which is he's not teaching Serena to play tennis. That's not his role as a coach. It's about getting them to do things which sometimes they don't believe they can do, right? So depending on if they're in the high form Mm. or a low form and if they're struggling with different things. And I found that really interesting. And I, if I take it back to how we as leaders, you know, deal with people, we also need to have these different faces. I mean, sometimes you need to be coaches, sometimes you need to be mentors, sometimes you need to deal with direct feedback. Sometimes it's more guidance. Sometimes it's questioning. So it's a very interesting analogy between sports and how we do as leaders. I mean, especially in a role of a coach.
1: Yes, oh, I love every word of what you're saying there. And then that also brings us to the, the third point you had in your, which I love too, the idea that you can rehearse and fine tune and kind of analyze how you would go about feeding back before you actually enter the feedback situation. And I do hear that your little recipe there, Regu, is also, I think there's so many of us out there who did not do that recipe. And then we got to a really weird place with someone and we tried to feed back to them and it really, really hurt. I know I have these experiences in my past where, gosh, I wish I could do it again, you know? Because it really didn't land and it really got hurtful for the person I was trying to give feedback. So I think that recipe is like, I'm just kind of underlining that. Svetlana, we wanted to talk to him about the 360, didn't we? Yeah.
0: Uh, do you want to explain to I'll listeners? go there, but I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking that, you know, the whole idea of sports... And a person who is coaching you to perform at mm-hmm. your best of your ability, you know, perform best of your strength is a coach. Mm. It's not a manager. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's a mm. coach. And then he really helps you to be at your best and let you play and get out of your way. And then the team performs or you perform. I think it's very good, you know, I'm just thinking it's a good connection to the leadership you have. Yeah. So it's also the coaching. Absolutely. Way of leading people because you have to become a professional feedback giver. You have to help people shine and be at their best and get out of the way. Absolutely, <laughs> let them do stuff.
2: Absolutely. I mean leaders, I, are, leaders as coaches. I think that's a very powerful construct. I mean, like you said, you know, so make people believe in what they can mm-hmm. do, sort of get the best out of them and get out of the way, and then you know shine the light on them when you know when they're doing best. I think that's a very powerful construct. Yeah.
0: Hanna,
1: you wanted to jump to... in. <laughs> I'm bursting here. Yeah, so the, uh, I just wanted to uh, give a little commercial for a television series. It's out there. For those of you who have Prime, you have to have Prime for this one. But it's called Ted Lasso. And it's just a gem describing what you just went into talking about. It's just the sweetest little series in six or seven episodes. Just go watch it. It's about coaching leadership and a guy trying to coach a football team it's so cute yeah
0: And what I wanted to build on that, you mentioned, Han, and thank you for the series, I just subscribed (laughs) to Netflix just yesterday, so (laughs) I'll give a watch, is about the topic of sharing 360 Mm feedback because you mentioned in your post in December that you had 360, first of all, so you were asking also for quite a formal structured feedback from peers and and colleagues, and you shared it openly with the team, Mm And I wanted to talk a bit how it felt and, you know, what feedback you have received Mm -hmm. for doing that. And that's something about also your vulnerability Mm -hmm. and being open to the team. So how did it feel when you were pressing that (laughs) send button?
2: Um, Well, I mean, that was scary, (laughs) you know, before I was pressing (laughs) the send button. But taking a few steps back, I was reading this amazing book, No Rules Rules, which is about the leadership culture at Netflix. It's basically an expanded version of this Netflix culture tech, which is, like some people say, one of the most important documents to come out of the valley about culture. And Netflix has a very interesting culture. It's all about the balance, the sort of yin and yang between freedom and responsibility. And -hmm. that's only possible because they have a radically candid culture. And one of the things which really struck me is, you know, when the CEO Reed Hastings talks about sharing his 360 feedback with the entire company. And as I was reading that, and that was the time when i just finished my 360 feedback and I was going through my comments and all of that, I thought, I mean, right. why not share it first with my external leadership team? So it's 10 people that I really trust with and I, I think I have a good trustworthy relationship among us. But it was difficult. You know, it was, A, you know, scary because I'm sharing all my weaknesses and all mm-hmm. those things that people have said that I need to work upon But the more i thought about it it was like i mean i'm not going to lose anything if only it's going to get better and we touched upon courage before courage goes hand in hand with vulnerability right i mean Mm -hmm. as a leader if you are open to being vulnerable that creates enormous trust right away so yes it was difficult to hit that send button um Mm -hmm. but I thought that was the only way that the team was going to give me feedback. I mean, I highlighted three things, which are like the weaknesses or things that I had to improve Mm -hmm. on. And I said, if you see me falling back into those uh, behaviors, please call me out. The response from the team was amazing. So a few said that it was very bold. There was one person who said that, you know, it should take a lot of confidence to even share something (laughs) like that. and some people didn't respond because I think it's probably they didn't expect something like that <laughs> to you know, share <laughs> the entire 360 report. But all I can say is that I think that created a lot of trust with the team. And for me, it's just better because now I have those three things which I want to improve. And I have the team who's going to mm. help me mm. become better on those three aspects, even though there are like 10 other good things which are in that feedback. But I really wanted to focus on things that I wanted to improve.
0: Mm. I had the same experience, like uh in my previous assignment, uh not in Deutsche Telekom, but I shared my 360 feedback with the whole my team, not the mm. whole company. That's radical.
2: That is very radical. Yeah,
0: yes. but with my team, it was in Bulgaria, and you know, also when you are a foreigner and mm. when you are in a foreign environment, you know, trying to lead people, you also try to be much more cautious. You know, how are you mm. fitting into the environment? Because you know, it came from outside in. And exactly happened what you just said, You all of a sudden you create a moment of trust, yeah? Mm. And when we had a discussion, I remember I was nervous and it, it actually did hurt, you know, because some feedback was, uh, I had to really work on, but it gave an understanding for people, oh my gosh, she actually wants to improve.
2: Absolutely, I mean, mm. end of the day, it makes us leaders also seem human to yeah. people, which I mean, sometimes people don't see it that way. Mm. And I think the mm. best way to create trust is by being vulnerable. You know, I mean, you know what's coming up for
1: me, guys? Deficits. You know what with the um, comparison, the metaphor that's coming up for me is like if we were like a thousand year back and we were all Vikings together, when the Vikings used to meet to kind of have the, the thing, the ting as they called it, where they met and had their meetings, the first thing you do is put all your swords on the table. <laughs> Right. So you're laying down your weapons and you're going, "Okay, we are going to have a real conversation. And that's that's part of what you're saying there. And the beauty of that is, of course, if you lay down your weapons and you go, here's my 360, here's all my dirty laundry for you guys to look at. Then it's really hard, I would imagine, for the team not to respond by saying, oh, and here's mine. Right, Absolutely. So you're, you're creating a movement in a way. You're creating, the, you're creating what you want to come back at you as well. Yeah, I, I mean, love that so much.
2: That was also sort of a selfish motive that I had, mm-hmm. was to see if this would inspire them to do it with their leadership teams.
1: And did they? Know, to
2: sort of start this change movement. At least I haven't heard any so far, but maybe it still takes some time. And if you do it more often, I think being a role model... Uh, That would definitely help more people to start adopting it.
1: Can I take you to, uh, just because I'm curious, I was thinking about like culture and how, because culture does influence us if we don't think about it, doesn't it? So you, is there anything in your natural, in your national culture that would make you shy away from feedback or be good at candid feedback or whatever?
2: A lot of stuff, (laughs) I have to say. Because, I mean, I grew up in India and I spent, yeah more than half of my life in India. The thing about Indian culture is that, you know, when it comes to people who are elder to you or of, you know, in a place like not fully restricted to hierarchy, mm. but could be your teachers, could be at work, you basically respect them, meaning you don't mm. question or you don't challenge them, mm. you know? Um, that's how the schooling system is as well. You're not supposed to question your teachers, which is completely different, though. You know what you have on the Western world. So yes, that was also one of the reasons why you know giving open, candid feedback was difficult to me. But then I've lived in Germany now for the past twelve years. I've been, let's say, be more open to other ways of dealing with feedback. And it's interesting. One of the other books that I mentioned in my uh, post is Culture Map which gives you a very interesting view on how national cultures shape different things that you do deal with in a day to day life, right? I mean, from as simple as dealing with time, right? Are you on a flexible time, like in most Asian countries, or are you in a linear time, right? In, yes, which is yes, more, yes. more of a Western thing. And I t- uh,
1: Sorry, we're gonna, at the end of the podcast, why don't we sum up your books, because but you have such a cool list, and I'm I was sitting there thinking the authors should be really happy to hear this podcast episode (laughs) because you are such a beautiful example. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, go on.
2: What I was going to say is, so I actually took a test, which is more like a self questionnaire that ranks you along these different dimensions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the most funny thing that I found is I sit, perfectly in the center between Indian culture and German culture.
1: You know, that's
2: that's <laughs> like a, that's you, huh? an amalgamation of my spending half of my life and one mm. third in Germany. So, yes, I mean, your surroundings does change the way you look at different things.
1: And again, what you're saying is that, I guess, just being aware. So the idea of like going, oh, there's something in my national heritage. What is that? How does the culture around me look at feedback? If I don't think about it, I'll just be part of it. And then becoming conscious is the thing, isn't it? And you get to choose. And this is kind of part of your journey here. Let's go to the other side and say, why? Why are we so interested in feedback? What is it we can achieve from creating a feedback-savvy team and surrounding around us?
2: So when I think about why it's required, I mean, especially in my own work, I'm dealing with, like you said at the beginning, so we are building voice assistance, you know, which is, you for Dutch Telecom, it's... A, cutting edge, something new Mm -hmm. that we typically don't, you know, try our hand at. And to work in such an environment, you need to have really a high performance team and a high performance Mm -hmm. culture. And a high performance culture for me comes mainly by openly sharing candid feedback among each other. And this is where I think one of the other things which we don't do a lot is peer feedback. I think Peer feedback is one of the most underrated uh, form of feedback. You know, we usually think of feedback from a manager to an employee or, you know, voice, top, voice down, voice down, officer, um, top yeah. down, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. But then peer feedback, I think that's really powerful. Um, and one other thing which I've also been trying, which is also quite hard, is unsolicited peer feedback, <laughs> Okay, which I think also takes a lot of courage as well. But at least my experience in the last years has been, you know, once you have the right level of trust with your peers, you know, Mm. you can also share this kind of unsolicited peer feedback, which might sound tough, but I've seen the impact that it creates. In fact, a lot of people welcome that and and it it Mm. helps them see their blind spots. And I've only had good experiences with that, but it is tough. I mean, especially sharing that with a peer can be really tough.
1: I've got one on that one, which is really, really funny, actually. I heard the other day that uh, there's this organization and they're called Work Human. Have you heard about them? No. So here's another book. There's this guy, his name is Eric Mosley, and he's a bit of a global phenomenon at the moment. And they're doing a lot of work. And thank God they're doing it during the COVID, during the pandemic. And they have they're research driven and they research what happens in organizations when you open up the communication tools that are available and, for instance, work on, like, compliment giving. So one of the things they've found, which is so, once you hear it, it's like self-explanatory, but they have found that peer complimenting actually works better than hierarchical complimenting. And that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because if your boss is giving you a compliment, you're kind of thinking, yeah, well, you're paid to do that. (laughs) And if you're trying to compliment upwards, then the boss is thinking, oh, she's just licking my back. Right? It's really the secondary agendas can at least create like doubt stories very quickly. While as if it comes from a peer. So the research is actually quite radical. It says that they could measure... There were fewer people leaving the organization at the end of the year, fewer talents that you want to retain, right? There were, people were less likely to leave the organization if they had received so-and-so many peer compliments during the year they were there. <laughs> I'm guessing what we're talking about here is creating like, team safety and team, a team wanting to work together.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, Ereko mentioned that when you give peer feedback, unsolicited feedback, it might feel rough Yes. I think if you really have a safe environment and you have this atmosphere of peer feedback giving, it can be fun as well. Because <laughs> you yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. you stop taking yourself serious, yeah? And you just flourish in this environment. We had a number of cases in the European segment of the T where we worked a lot with growth mindsets, mm-hmm. you know, and being forward-leaving, power of not yet, fail fast. And we had two names, so Svetlana would be my growth mindset name. And when I'm in my fixed mindset, I had a different name and my team knew that. <laughs> so when I've heard when somebody calls me by a different name, I realize I'm actually in my fixed mindset at this point in time. Yeah, I think
2: that's and that's a very, very interesting way to make you conscious about yeah. you know, what you're doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna take us to one final place, which is also did you guys ever experience getting feedback from someone, and then you're thinking, you're just saying that to make me feel stupid, or make me feel small, or belittle me. Did anything like that ever happen to you?
2: Not really. um, Because right from the day I started leading a team, you know, I've always been open to feedback. And in those early days, I found feedback, you know, like people found it very hard to give me feedback, even though I was asking them often. So, I never say no to any feedback. And of course, some of them might hurt you. But I think if you don't take it in the positive stride, then we're not becoming better people. I mean, I can give you an example. It was probably seven, eight years ago when I was still sort of in an individual contributor role, you know, working with a team. We were working on some deliverables. And then I saw that something was not being worked upon. You know, someone else was already doing it. But since it was... Not moving forward. I just took it and finished it, and mm-hmm. and then I, I, I was feeling good that I did something, you know, and it was value that it got completed, and then my lead came to me and said that was something the other person was working on. So, you know, why did you finish it? And I got really yeah, angry dear. because I was like, on one hand, I've been I've I've done good in the sense of i finished it, and now somebody is angry with me for finishing it. But then I started realizing what I was doing wrong because I was stepping on some other's toes because this was work in progress. In my ambition to, let's say, get things done, I was stepping yeah, on yeah. other's toes. And um, that sense, yes, the initial feedback did hurt. But then when I realized what I was doing wrong, uh, and I thought, okay, now I'll be a bit more careful and maybe even ask that person or even help or even do it together so that we can complete it yeah. rather than just me grabbing it and then running with it and and finishing it.
1: Well, I'm hearing that you're kind and gentle. So here's what happened to me. I gave a a speech once, like a keynote speech. I was asked to give a speech on communication or whatever. And after the speech, there's this guy and he comes up to me and he's a senior, he's quite important in this organisation that I'm in. And he comes up to me and he doesn't give me one compliment and he just goes, there are two things I'd like to point out to you in your speech that are wrong. And then he points them out and he's not even smiling. He didn't even introduce himself. And then he just left me. And I was left like, oh, that like, it hurt me for weeks afterwards. I was kind of, you know, I had like behavioral hangover. It kept coming up and I kept getting like hot flashes when I thought of it. And the worst of it was he was right. What I'd said was I should have thought through it one more time. So at the end of the day, I managed to kind of lick my wounds and then kind of do the learning and move on from there. But there are times when I would be questioning, I would be thinking, he just made that comment to me, not for me to learn, but for him to look good. I'm being very judgmental now, aren't I? But do you see that kind of situation?
2: Um, I mean, this reminds me of an um, interesting incident also in the book No Rules Rules, where the author, Erin Meyer, so she's the one who also wrote Culture Map. So she is, I think she was asked to come to Netflix and then give a presentation about let's say, inclusiveness and feedback and stuff. And then someone in the audience called her out directly in the sense of Ooh. telling her that she was doing something in the middle of a presentation, you know, which was oh. very similar to what you were just saying. Yeah. And she says that, yes, it was hard, it was hurtful, but then you sort of compose yourself and when you think about it, that was right. Yeah. You know? And sometimes yeah. the ego becomes bigger and then we tend to downplay it and get defensive. So, like I said, I think if you sort of detach yourself from that, which can be hard, and then look at is that going to make us better or not, I think we
1: can deal with that. Thank you, Regu. You'll be my uh, my role model for future receiving of feedback. So, yeah, there's a, a golden rule to be had in here, which is that if you want, if you are a leader or a, in a position of influence and you want to create a feedback culture around you, the easiest way to create candid feedback culture someone told me the other day, and it's such a gem, is to, of course, invite people to give you corrective feedback. So if you're going into a meeting together with your team and you're meeting some clients or whatever, here's you, the boss, saying, so I want you guys after the meeting to tell me whether I speak too much on slide four, because I'm really wondering if I do that sometimes. You know, when I explain the whole thing about the budget, right? So you're giving people instructions to give you corrective feedback. If you are in a position of authority, this is just such an efficient way to start it going. And then, of course, if you do receive corrective feedback, (laughs) then you have to be good at receiving it, of course. Then you can't get defensive. That would ruin it. Yeah.
2: I mean, you need to be genuine about this. Like, I, you know, after I started being candid with my team, they started being candid with me, you know, and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. And uh, going back to those early days when I found it really hard to get. Feedback. I think this has been a good cycle that the more you are candid with your team openly, uh, Mm. I think they start giving you the sort of necessary feedback. And of course, you need to earn the trust, like with the sharing of 360s, that's just Mm. one way. And there are a lot of different ways how you earn the trust of the team.
1: Mm. I think then Mm. it starts
2: this virtuous cycle of giving and receiving feedback.
1: Well, I think you've just been a brilliant example for us to have on this podcast to discuss this. As I said initially, it's like, such an important topic, this, I think. Svetlana, how can we round this off? I do want you to mention all the four books, Regu, so we kind of get them right up there in the screen and we can people can remember them. Definitely. Books and authors, so can you do it?
2: One of the most important books where I, let's say, learned a lot of these things were, is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I think, like I said, uh, Radical Candor goes hand in hand with genuine care. So if you mm. care for someone, you know, genuinely, then you can, of course, apply radical candor. The second book that I spoke about was Culture Map. So Culture Map by Meyer. I think this has got a lot of insights on how cultures, so national cultures influence behaviors and also mm. in terms of feedback specifically, you know, are you direct feedback or do you go for more indirect feedback? Do you have to read a lot? in the air or you no know, is there a lot of context behind what somebody is saying so it goes a lot into these dimensions of how culture plays a role the third book is no rules rules about the netflix culture by reed hastings Aaron Meyer. this whole notion of how netflix has evolved in terms of balancing responsibility and freedom you know for employees and i find it really amazing i mean netflix as a company with 200 million customers across the world it's a global company in you know providing entertainment in 192 countries with 8500 employees and mm-hmm. all of this is possible because they have such a radically candid culture and the fourth book is fearless organizations by amy edmondson which talks a lot about psychological safety and you know why psychological safety is such an important factor for high performance teams and again that goes back to a lot we talked about you know trust and how much trust and how leadership role models that you need to provide to create an environment that is psychologically safe. So, those would be my four recommendations.
0: Thank you so much, Rego. That has been such a rich podcast, and I have so many more angles to go in. So, you know, and my team, (laughs) you know, my team gave me, I'm here having a a piece of paper. My team told me to talk to Rego about strength based feedback, you know, how to really leverage strength. So, so maybe even more podcasts, Rego, uh, to come up. But time time flies. (laughs) Thank you so much for being us on the show in our human centric podcast. And, Hannah, Thank you as well for being such a vivid part of the conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. It was an absolute
2: pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation and and I'm really happy that we, let's say, talk more about these things so that it just becomes, let's say, a natural thing to do in our organization. So thanks a lot for that.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank you, Regu. Thank you, Hannah. To find out the deeper meaning of talent and its human aspects in business environments, subscribe to the Human Centric Podcast and stay tuned.